title this morning, the sermon, Submission to Authorities, Part 2. And that'll be it. We only have two parts to that. Last week, if you remember, we learned that we have an obligation to obey governing authorities unless those in government command us to do that which is contrary to the word of God. We also learned that if they do indeed command believers to do that which is contrary to the word of God, then we can civilly disobey those governing authorities. Civilly being the key word here, which is a nonviolent action. For example, if the government tells us that we can't preach the gospel, we are to obey God rather than men, and in so doing, continue to preach the gospel, continue to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, but we are not to do so by taking up arms against anyone, especially in an anarchist fashion. So just to be clear, let's define anarchy. What does anarchy mean? It is a term derived from the Greek language, no surprise there, which means no ruler or authority. It is a belief system that rejects governmental authority in favor of self-governing. It is a behavior, it is a breakdown of civil order by community consensus. A breakdown of civil order by community consensus. So, if the government told us today that we could no longer preach the gospel, it would not be sinful in the eyes of God to stand on a street corner and preach the gospel in defiance of the government until fined or arrested or even martyred. However, it would indeed be sinful to stand on the street corner and gin up a mob of like-minded people and overturn cars, burn down businesses, buildings, throw frozen water bottles at the police, and shoot people who were preaching the gospel. I mean, yeah, that would be us preaching the gospel. That would indeed be sinful. If we are persecuted in this country to the extent that it would be illegal to preach that gospel or illegal to own a Bible, okay, then we would do well to take our cues from our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in that situation right now and who have been in that situation throughout history. We have their historical accounts, don't we? We have examples of current-day methods of Christians who are going through these things. For example, in China, the communist government is increasingly raiding underground churches when they find them. 
one 1,500-member church that I read of was shut down by the government and its congregation was forbidden to meet anywhere all because the pastor refused to have CCTV cameras installed so that the government could view the church whenever it gathered. Those parishioners that were disbanded have gone further underground, and now they'll do what many of those do in China, Christians. They will meet in people's homes. They also meet in barns and in the woods and things of that nature. That would be an example of current-day civil disobedience. Now, please allow me to follow this example of China out to the end for our purposes. I could do this with several countries, but we only have time to look at one for our understanding this morning. Under a fairly new law, I looked it up in China, Chinese officials can and are now taking people's jobs away from them if they find out or hear that a particular citizen is a Christian, and especially if they are said to attend a church. They are investigated. All smartphone apps that allowed Chinese citizens to read and listen to the Bible on their phones have been banned in China. All online sales have also been banned of what? Bibles. In China, if you go to Amazon's website and you search for Bibles, there are none there because the Chinese government blocks them out. It is, in, it is also illegal in China to proselytize. The word proselytize means converting someone to your religion or your faith system. So whether you are Chinese or whether you are a foreigner visiting China, it is illegal to proselytize or try to convert one of your, even your family members or friends, your co-workers to Christ. It's illegal. It's also... As I said, it's illegal to sell Christian Bibles. However, there is an official, and I couldn't find it, to, an example of it to read. There is an official Chinese Christian communist Bible, so I've read, which was rewritten by the Chinese government and which can only be purchased in one place in China and... If you purchase it, you are required to give your name and your address and the name and address of the church you supposedly attend. Then in turn, this is what the article was about, the government will um, assign someone to you to follow you and spy on you to find out where your church is meeting and who else attends your church so that they can come down on them. Many people do not realize this, but China already keeps track of where their citizens are at all times, where they go, and even what they eat, what they buy, 
whether it's groceries or clothes, everything that you do in China is monitored through facial recognition within the law. It is the largest labyrinth of um, cameras of any country in the world. And each smartphone that is sold in China also has GPS tracking on it. Now, as a sidebar, if you really want to watch some cool documentaries, not cool for Chinese people, but go on YouTube and just type in Chinese cameras, Chinese camera system. You'll see the actual videos of the cameras, where they're located. They have cameras everywhere, and I mean everywhere. And they have the most advanced software, facial recognition software, that anyone's ever seen. And they will literally follow everything that you purchase. And just to give you one example, they will look at all the groceries that you purchase and all the restaurants that you visit. And if they feel that you are eating in such a way that is bad for your health and is going to be taxing on the Chinese healthcare system and economy, they have a point system and they take points off of you. And likewise, if you eat in a healthy fashion, they give you points. And this is with everything. You get good grades in school, you're a young adult, you get points. You get bad grades, you get points taken away. All these different things. And if you're a troublemaker, an anarchist, okay, um, you can be, not only have your, your points sacked, but you will also be prevented from flying out of the country and driving out of the country. So they keep this incredibly tight rein on their citizens, and it is fascinating to watch because you could just see, when you compare it to some of the legislation that's being introduced in the United States, you could see what some lawmakers are trying to do here. Anyway, all, by the way, all Christian crosses have been eliminated in China. You, you won't find a cross. You can't buy a cross, okay? Chinese Christians are now being detained in what have been nicknamed brainwashing camps. They are held for 10 months if the government deems it necessary for whatever reason that they want to come up with. They are imprisoned in a windowless room with no ventilation and they are subject to torture and abuse. Uh, the arm, they even have a name. The arm of the government that handles this is called the United Front Development. And within the United Front, officials use this, these intimidation tactics and threats and beatings and they force, they try to force detainees to try to renounce their faith. One of the pastors that was held in this camp after he had been there for a week says, said that death starts to look much better than staying there for another week. His name is Pastor Lee. People emerged from there in very poor health and whatnot. Now I could go on and on, like I said, with examples, but I mean, we could look at countries like Indonesia, which is very bad. India, which is 
I was surprisingly how bad India has become in persecution of Christians. And then the absolute worst is North Korea. I want you to see, what I want you to see, I should say, is what most of these Christians do under real and dangerous persecution. What do Christians around the world do under real and dangerous persecution? Well, like the first and second century Christians, and like those hundreds of reformers who were sought after for, for, for death by burning at the stake at the hand of uh, Queen Bloody Mary, her nickname. She was the first ruling queen of England. Those Christians, like these Christians today in China and around the world, didn't, and today don't, take up arms against their respective governing authorities. If they did, they... Um, if, if they did, what they did would not have been called or could not be called civil disobedience, but instead it would be called anarchy, which is why we looked at those two definitions. And as such, it would have been much less effective, especially in the long run, okay, such as the way it is in China, to make any headway because you would come under perpetual abuse and martyrdom if you took up arms. And if you remember last week, we looked at the fact that Scripture records the martyrdom of those who, who disobeyed governing authorities in order to spread the gospel. And we also saw that historically, Christians have been martyred since the church's inception. And up until this very day, these things Continue. And also remember, <clears throat> excuse me, what we learned when we were in Romans chapter 12, and when we learned the same thing also last week, namely that Christians are not to respond to persecution with violence or with vengeance. We'll call it the two V's violence and vengeance. The Bible forbids us from violence and vengeance when it comes to being persecuted for our faith. It is solely our God's prerogative to avenge himself and to avenge us. It's not scriptural in our purview as Christians to do these things. Remember, the historical narrative that we read of Hebrews 10.34, where the Christians are said to have not only acted compassionately toward their fellow believers who had been imprisoned for their faith, but also they joyfully accepted the plundering of their possessions and their property because they knew that they had a better possession an abiding one, an eternal one, waiting for them in heaven. And we are told that at one time they had endured a, and I'm quoting, endured a long struggle, a long struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed for um, or to reproach 
and affliction. Now, this call to endurance in suffering for the Christian faith has been understood as the norm for centuries, centuries past. And it's the norm today. Now, last week, I said at the very end of the sermon that we were going to look at the fact that there is a difference between submission to governing authorities and obedience to governing authorities. One more time, a difference between submission to governing authorities and obedience to governing authorities. Now follow me on this, please. One cannot submit without obeying when obeying goes against Scripture. One cannot submit without obeying when obeying goes against Scripture. Submitting to the government is to place yourself under their authority and oversight. It's more about your relationship with your government than it's about your obedience to your government or your view of their politics. Submission says you're in charge, okay? Mr. Governor, you're in charge. I'm not. And as such, I will respect you and honor your judgment in this land that we live in. But in this case or that case, please don't expect me to agree with your political views or obey your laws if those laws fly in the face of Scripture. You with me? Now let me elaborate on this. Let's look at mainly, I'm going to look at Daniel, but also briefly at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They could be grouped in there too. Now these guys were in submission to, they were, in, they, they were subject to and respectful of the Babylonian authorities over them just like we are instructed in our text, Romans chapter 13, verse 1, okay? They were not rude or crude. They were not confrontational or seditious. They weren't trying to rile up people against the government. They weren't rioting or attempting a coup. We can all agree on that, right? Like Romans chapter 13, verse 5 they were in subjection and they were doing nothing to invoke God's wrath or to call it into question in regard to their own conscience. Remember, we talked about conscience last week. They honored the king and the king's representatives, but they weren't always obedient to them. That's the key. In Daniel's case, in Daniel 1, he wouldn't eat. He refused to eat certain unclean foods of the king or drink the king's wine. In Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't worship the golden image that the king had erected. And in Daniel 6, Daniel would not stop praying and giving thanks to God three times a day. Right? 
But even their disobedience was submissive. That's what I want you to see. Their disobedience was submissive. They acknowledged and yielded to the king's authority to punish them and put them to death if he wanted to. That's what they did by submitting. They didn't leave. They didn't run. They didn't hide in the woods. Not that any of that's bad. They didn't do any of that. They knew in, by staying there that they were going to be subject to punishment or death for their disobedience to the king. Now, when the Apostle Paul told the Christians in our text who were under Romans, Rome's rule to submit to the governing authorities, he clarified his meaning by contrasting with the word resisting. If you look at Romans 13.2, the word resisting. The Greek word translated resist means to arrange yourself in battle against someone. It means um, to de defiantly, even violently oppose someone. But being subject to governing authorities means not to not resist them, Romans 13, 2, but instead it means to honor them, 1 Peter 2, 17, we looked at that last week, and it may mean, it may mean to obey them, but not if they tell you to do something sinful. So Daniel civilly submitted to the king by submitting to being thrown into a den of hungry lions without resistance. Why? Well, because Daniel was consistent. That's why he would not stop praying. He refused to eat the king's food and he civilly but disobediently refused to bow to the statue image that the king ordered him to. The irony here is not lost. Think about it. Remember, it was while serving King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, that Daniel prophesied and affirmed the superiority of God's kingdom over every human kingdom. That's Daniel 2, 31 through 45. And now Daniel is living that out. Literally. He basically says to King Darius, go fish, dude. I ain't gonna bow to you, your image. The God that I serve, his kingdom's superior to every human kingdom, even yours. So Daniel was going about his business, serving Darius in his integrity and with, with no qualms. And of course, like so many cowards, there were men who became jealous of Daniel. And so they concocted a plan to trap Daniel by basically making Daniel's religion illegal in the land, technically for 30 days. The injunction stated that if anyone in the land petitioned any god or any king other than Darius for a period of 30 days, their punishment would be to be cast into the lion's den, death. So Daniel knew 
that the new law had been ratified, signed off on by the king, and he, re he respectfully and civilly disobeyed that law anyway, just like his enemies wanted him to do. Daniel wasn't going to petition uh, any god besides the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he surely wasn't going to petition an earthly king in place of his god. His enemies knew this. Does this remind you of anything? Maybe in our day, maybe in the past year, maybe during the height of the COVID pandemic, you couldn't by law gather for church services in the state of California there for a time, for example. If you did, you could be fined and some were, or if you lived in Canada, you could be imprisoned and some pastors were. In California, under government Newsom, the San Jose Calvary Chapel was fined $2.8 million for not forsaking the gathering of themselves together, Hebrews 10.25. John MacArthur's church also civilly refused to obey Newsom's order and was also fined. As of April 22nd of this year, after legal battles, the San Jose church lost its court battle and was ordered to pay the $2.8 million fine, while MacArthur's church won their court battle and they have been awarded, some newspaper articles that I read said 400000 and some that I read said 800000 but they were awarded money by the court in restitution, which they said that they were going to donate to the Thomas More Society, who, who is, they are the lawyers, the Thomas More Society that represented the organization that represented uh, MacArthur's church. Or how about the governing school boards exercising their authority to teach five-year-old children about gender identity identity and non-binary pronouns. And I could go on and on and on. Parents could civilly submit, if you look at the news, they could civilly submit to the authorities in the state of California and send their kids to school just like you do any other day of the week. But some of them chose willful defiance because they know that the scriptures teach against such lunacy and that such lunacy is also a violation of wisdom and sheer common sense. And such, they civilly disobeyed the school board's new mandates and refused to have their children attend the classes where their children would have been taught about gender preferences and gender reassignment transitioning. And like Daniel, they might be thrown into the proverbial lion's den. They may be civilly expressing their God-given state governing right to voice their disdain for such unbiblical mandates 
imposed upon their children in a public school meeting, and as such, they may get unjustly arrested like some of the other parents did, or they might be put on an FBI domestic terrorist watch list, which some of them were, a watch list uh, created by the Federal Justice Department because they chose to exercise their First Amendment uh, right to voice their concerns at one of the local school board meetings that should have been or should have absolutely nothing to do with the federal government at all, let alone have anything to do with teaching our children about genital reassignment surgery and or the notion that their children were born racists and as such are the main problem when it comes to all of our social woes and ills as Americans simply because of the color of their skin. Now, if you, if you are one of those parents that I just described out there in Internet land, I know none of you are, but some of you might be, and you acted this way, or you found yourself having to act this way, at a, having to act this way at a future school board meeting, expressing your disdain for such ridiculousness, you've done nothing wrong in the eyes of God. That's what I want to convey. You've done nothing wrong in the eyes of God because all those things that I just listed are not biblical. And you can civilly voice your disdain for those things without breaking the law by exercising your First Amendment right and telling them that this is what your faith tradition, your Christian faith tradition, and its holy book dictates. So in other words, let's just hypothetically say you made yourself subject to the governing authorities instituted by God. You paid your school taxes. You have followed the school board's protocol for launching a concern or complaint. You, you went to the school board meeting. You, you waited in line. You didn't speak past your time. You didn't resist those authorities by inciting violence or harm to anyone, no anarchy, you would, he, you would adhere to 1 Peter 2, and in so doing, you were not only subject to this human institution, but you also gave no reason to ignorant and foolish men and women to justifiably slander you or slander your God. You didn't use your liberty as a cover-up for evil. You honored the process and the protocol so as to not drag Christ's name through the mud. And even though you checked off all those boxes, but, you know, you may still be seen by some at the school board meeting as the instigating factor in defiantly coming against those who think they know better than you do as to what's best for your child you submitted without obeying. Listen, this is the whole sermon. You submitted without obeying and you did so civilly with honor and integrity and despite your carefully worded and respectful delivery of what you oppose at the school board meeting, their actions, you're still labeled a bigot. 
or whatever, white supremacist, homophobe, your evil intentions and your propagation of your archaic Christian agenda as you express your disagreement for a curriculum to be taught to your child whereby an LGBTQ or a critical race theory teaching agenda has been included. And now, given your audacity in suggesting that this new curriculum be changed back to its former ways in excluding the rights of LGBTQ people, you have been officially canceled. I pray that thus far you are beginning to understand how you can go about civilly disobeying God-instituted authorities because despite the civil submission to them, they have or are violating obvious biblical mandates and are expecting you to do the same. Does everybody see that? Now, why is this all so important? Why is this all so important? I don't mean from a social perspective. I think I've made that pretty, pretty clear. And that's not hard because the Bible's instructions regarding how to live in society and deal with secular authorities have been made pretty plain to us in our text and other texts. I'm talking about a deep down, deep down Christian to the core. Why? Why is this so important that I spent two weeks on it? Why? Well, may I suggest to you that what we've gone over in the past two weeks runs much, much deeper in significance and meaning than what we've touched upon here. How we conduct ourselves in regard to what we've learned thus far runs much deeper because of how it affects the way the world sees our Christ. So many Christians rightfully and civilly disobey, but they don't understand the importance in being an ambassador for Christ as they do so. In the scriptures, we are called ambassadors for Christ. That's in 2 Corinthians 5.20, um, among other places, using different synonyms also. Just a few verses further down there in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 6, verse 3, as Pastor Scott read, we are told to give no cause for offense so that the ministry will not be discredited. Verses 4 through 10 go like this. I'm going to read it quickly. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and yet, behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, 
as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing <clears throat> yet possessing everything. Okay, <clears throat> I want you to see, I want you to really latch on to, to verse 3 there. Giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. Doesn't, doesn't sound like those Christians were taking up arms or doing anything without the utmost civility, does it? It doesn't look like they had an attitude of rebellion even, okay? They weren't slanderers. You get the picture. An ambassador, by definition, is someone who is extraordinarily diplomatic in speech, in demeanor, and in action. An ambassador is a representative of the authority of whose name they come in, oftentimes from a foreign land. We saw last week that this word is, I'm sorry, that this world is not our home. We are visiting as citizens and ambassadors of our heavenly home. We are diplomatically representing the authority of our homeland. We represent Christ, but we not only represent him, we represent everything that he is and everything he upholds, especially that which he believes and he tells us to believe. And what he believes is a reflection of his very being. It's also an exact representation of his father, Hebrews 1. We're called to represent all of that while we are in this world. But yet, many Christians, and I'm not, I'm not I don't want you to think I'm being too hard on them, because I'm not. Um, I've been in this camp before, many Christians don't handle themselves civilly or diplomatically when voicing or acting in opposition to that which they are biblically entitled to oppose. They don't act like ambassadors of Christ. They simply aren't a good representation of the one they are claiming to represent. How the world perceives us and our Christ is far more important than getting our own way or perhaps even being righted when we've been wronged. Many Christians use the information we've learned over the past two weeks and they use it as a license to go out and look for trouble to go out and look for places where they are said to have been wrong so that they can cause a fight, you know? That's not the way you learned Christ, Paul said to Ephesians 4, 20, chapter 4, verse 20. This is not the new way of life that we represent. We represent a ministry a ministry of what? Reconciliation. 
kind of the opposite of fighting, causing trouble. As a matter of fact, Paul says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18. Reconciled to the Father by Christ through the Holy Spirit. The church, the body of Christ that you and I represent, I should say that you and I also represent, we must show our love for Christ, our love in Christ as a mission, a mission to turn each and all to Christ. This is the overarching purpose of the church in the world. Go stand, remember last week, Acts 5.20, go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. We must tell them that they can have hope. Hope that does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 5 and 6. We must tell them that Christ died for them so that they can be forgiven of their sins and as such saved from the wrath of God through Christ. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have now received that reconciliation. This is our message as ambassadors. We need, listen, we need to seize the opportunities, folks, that we get to share this message of reconciliation, this good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's so wrong of us to muck it up, drag it through the mud, by wanting to fight with people that you know we really have no business fighting with, whether it be politicians or political pundits, talk show hosts, whatever. We can't do this effectively if we are always identifying uh, life, the life we live, with activism and looking for an ideological fight with everyone who disagrees with Christianity, right? There's a place for such things, but it, it doesn't occupy the first place. The first place. There is certainly a place for civil disobedience, as we have seen these past two Sundays, but civil disobedience also does not occupy the first place. Jesus occupies the first place place always 
He is second to none. His gospel message takes precedence over everything else, every other message. And we must always remember to conduct ourselves out in the world as ambassadors who are, as Paul said to Titus, to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey when, parentheses, when biblical, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. Have you ever tried to do that for a week? Speak evil of no one? No, no one, not one person. Peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Titus 3, 1 and 2. So, let's obey the government unless they go against the word. If they go against the word, we can resist civilly. And let's make sure that our number one priority is ambassadors of this message of reconciliation to the Father through Christ by way of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.